0: I shall never attempt
1: to palliate my own faults by exposing those of another.
0: The words of General George Washington, and this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University poll. And my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we
1: look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. We'll look at the coronavirus and how it's affecting our nation and the world. We'll cover the presidential primary as well and wrap with our Guardian of the Week and some final thoughts. Please choose to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, want to tell us, what are our challenges this week?
0: Well, I'm not sure whether our discussion of our challenges will palliate the situation at uh, all. That's a, that was a great word in that quote that you read at the, uh, at the beginning. Um, yeah, so- you know
1: what? Let me, let, let me get to that real quick then. I mean, he, he says that he will not palliate his own faults by pointing out the abuses of others. And as I try to pick a quote every week that is relatable to what's going on. And I'm just looking at President Trump and how he is constantly passing the blame constantly. And that's why I chose that, showing that Washington would never make a choice like that.
0: Right. Well, why don't we jump into President Trump? I want to talk a little bit about the bailout, but why don't we just actually go right into President Trump since we're there. And I've seen a number of things. In fact, a headline just this morning popped up for me, which was uh, the Politico called uh, Trump an authoritarian weak man instead of an authoritarian strong man, uh, pointing out that this situation is custom-made for an authoritarian to really take control, to take advantage of the situation, to consolidate his power. And Trump doesn't seem to be able to do that.
1: Do you know, uh, that's, very, that's fascinating to me. Because my friend Gary Kasparov has been saying for years that the problem is that, he's so, that, that the president isn't very intelligent. That if he were a wise, smarter person, he could cause a lot more damage to the country. And I think that's what you're kind of saying there, yes?
0: I think that's that was uh, one of the uh, conclusions that you could draw from this analysis. Uh, because, you know, he looks to people like President Putin of Russia and Xi of China and even Kim of North Korea, and you can see there's some admiration for them in, in the way that they are just able to control their countries. And, you know, here's a situation where he could have done that and he was unable to. Now, You know, you look at, uh, and I think this is what Kasparov is saying, right now, you know, I think Russia feels, uh, and Russians feel like they've dodged a bullet with this um, COVID outbreak because of the way that things are operating there. Putin claims that uh, they were able to stop it at the border. They are going about their business uh, out in the streets in Moscow and St. Petersburg. But the real question is, we don't know whether that is actually the case there in terms of the spread. You know, are they hiding what's going on there? We just don't know. And that's what a good authoritarian is able to do, either you know, create this false situation, sense of reality, or to take it and create that crisis and make it even more of a crisis uh, so that you can then exert your authority. It's what a good authoritarian yeah. can do. Yeah, yeah. If you're good at it, I mean, Trump is just not good at being. He wants to be an authoritarian. Is an authoritarian wannabe, but he's not good at doing that. So, so he he fails on that point. But I think the other point that you were talking about, which and, and, and with the Washington quote, is that okay? Let's say if he's he's supposed to be more of a typical president, right? Which is we're in a crisis situation. Your job is to calm the public, and he fails at that as well. Yeah, really.
1: Well, though the markets are up today, and the markets have been up for the last three days, um, so the sugar high will continue. But those unemployment numbers are also ridiculously high, highest that we've seen. And, you know, the the choice to argue, the choice to fight that President Trump does, whether it be with the press or whether it be, there was that that very key moment where he said it's a two-way street. The states, if they want me to do stuff for them, they've got to do stuff for me. That's very Ukrainian. Yeah,
0: it's very much a if you're gonna if you're not gonna say what, what, freedom, what did he say what did he say about the governors they've got to treat me well. Yeah, if they want me to treat them well, they've got to treat me well. I think that was the exact quote, and that is it's just utterly amazing to hear that come out the words come out of a president. is and that Brock- is that people in your if your governor is not willing to kowtow to the president, people in your state will die. People in your state will suffer worse. <laughs> like, but Obama actually, President Obama
1: just tweeted yesterday an article from The Atlantic, I believe, where he actually was criticizing Trump in a way that you don't normally see by retweeting this article and saying this is an important article to be read. The article really talks about the failure of Trump and the nation in January and February to step forward and do the things necessary to protect the country from the situation at hand. Other people have talked about Trump as a day trader. I talked about him last week as a day trader. In January, he was thinking about impeachment. He was thinking about his numbers. He was thinking about the stock market. He didn't want to see, he didn't want the small time... The small term pain, to for long term health, because he only thinks about he's like a like an animal in a way that only is thinking about what's directly in front of him. Right. Uh,
0: so he yeah he's thinking about his his next meal. <laughs> what, right. What's what's my next meal? Not how I'm going to live into my retirement, but how am I going to to live just through tomorrow? Because that's the only metric that matters to me, and uh, and and that metric mainly has been the stock market and and his concern has always been how do i get the stock market back up it seems to be that's the metric that that he is able to judge his performance by uh, and of course that went out the window now it's it's coming back up because of the stimulus package but what i find interesting in him particularly was the way that he presents himself in these press briefings and what that means for the people who watch those press briefings and what they walk away with, and there is some concern that he is causing people to do the wrong thing to go out there because of his behavior in these press briefings, because of the mixed messages that he gives, that he he keeps saying that oh we keep uh, he keeps tr- not while well, not directly comparing it to the flu in the sense of saying that this is not worse than the flu, but he always says we have. Tens of thousands of people die from the flu each year, so therefore, it is like the flu. Like he keeps yeah. sending sending those messages. Uh, in fact, you know, a poll that came out from Kaiser, and we'll talk more about polling on this in a, in a lots bit. Lots of but, polls today. Yeah, lots of poll. But th- there's a Kaiser poll that said you know, eighty six, eighty five percent of the public trusts when CDC officials come out and talk about this, or when somebody like uh, Anthony Fauci comes out and talks about this, versus forty six percent who Trump, who believe Trump, who trust Trump. When he's talking about this, you know, there's a that's a huge gap. And in fact, governors are uh, up there uh, even higher. i will talk a little bit about governors later. But the the point that I'm making is, you know, we have some initial evidence and I think we're going to get more from polling as we go along that there's a lot of false information that's out there. Uh, Seven percent believe that there's a vaccine for this when a vaccine doesn't exist. Is that now sometimes that number is is natural in terms of what the public think. But is that number going to go up because of what Trump says? Trump said that, uh, that uh, Governor Cuomo refused to buy 15,000 or 16,000 ventilators when he had the opportunity, but it turned out that that was just an op-ed piece in the New York Post from a former Republican official in New York State. It just had an ax to grind, and it was not true, but he was presenting it in his town hall on Fox as if he had a piece of paper signed by Governor Cuomo saying, I refuse to buy these ventilators. This is outrageous stuff, man. This is outrageous. The biggest
1: public health challenge of the last hundred years. We we spent a lot of time on the show talking about what would happen if, you know, the country was tested during President Trump's time. And we said, well, gosh, we, we've been lucky that nothing has happened. And now we have a huge test, not just for one city, but for the entire nation. And his, uh, his actions are... Uh, are terrible. They're they're just there's there's no other way around it. And uh and and, and he is. He's endangering people. Now by talking about Easter Sunday, you know, April twelfth, Easter Sunday, that'd be a good day. Um, I think it would be but- a
0: beautiful day. It would be beautiful. And he was he was follow he, he was asked in follow up questions uh, on subsequent days after he had put that date out there about why. And it's just I thought it would be a beautiful day. And there's no There's, there's nothing. There's nothing there. He's, there's no attachment to what his Advisors are saying, the experts are saying, and you can just see it on their on their faces when when they're standing up there, whether it's Fauci or Burks,
1: Yeah. And they're trying to hold on. They're trying to you know, they want to stay in their positions because they want to help people. And, And this brings a question to the press. It's like, how how disrespectful are you allowed to be to the president? You know, why, why isn't there a moment? And I, I, I wonder this more than I sort of judge them for certainly, but I wonder like, are they allowed to look at him and say, you're lying, you're flat out lying up there. And, but are they not allowed to say that? Because if they do, then they're, they're, White House press pass will be taken away because they can say, listen, you're disrespecting the president, which is, would be understandable because he would be, whoever d- would say that male or female would say that to the president would be disrespecting the president, but is not the president disrespecting us Yeah. By I, by and putting us in danger.
0: I, I've been critical of the press, uh, particularly the White House press corps, uh, Because I think the local press is doing a a good job of informing the public. But the the White House press corps is sitting there with him while he's doing this. And it's their job to call him on it. So we've been getting these press conferences every day where these millions of respirators are coming out. These uh, tens of thousands of ventilators are supposed to be coming. And they keep promising that. But nobody in the press pins them down, pins him down and says, when, where, where, who can I call to find out that they've been delivered? Where's the evidence that, that this is? is? <laughs> but,
1: but I mean, it, it's not that they don't care. It's not that they're not intelligent enough to do it. They are. They do care. They care very much. They're willing to put their lives on the line. But, you know, we're, I'm staying home. My, my family is home. We're, we're all staying home. These people are out there in the world risking their lives for it. So it's not that they don't care or that they don't see it.
0: What's stopping that, would you say? All right. Did you did you, you didn't see the press conference, the White House briefing on Wednesday afternoon, did you? I did not. Okay. I, it was the first one I had. I, I spared myself that one. I think if you watch that press conference, you'll see the evidence. It's a, I, I in did, there.
1: The, the, the When he went after the CBS
0: reporter. No, 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 no. That was, that was, uh, it was an NBC reporter, but that was an I'll entirely different CBS, thing. And I'll, and I'll come back to, to that as well, because I think the press—actually, let, let, uh, let me talk about that for a second, because I have a problem with the way the press actually uh, reported on that. That NBC reporter asked him a question, which Trump really danced around and then asked the the, Alexander, oh, I'm sorry we to Peter, to Peter, Alexander, Alexander. Peter, Peter Alexander, and then asked the follow-up question, and then Trump said that you know a horrible question, and you're a horrible person, whatever I don't exactly he said, but and it was only the follow-up question that got played. And while Trump there's a reason to call out Trump, I think the press did a disservice to themselves by only showing in their clips the second part of that, rather than the full exchange. Because the first part, the Peter
1: Alexander part, the first question I did see, that was that one I did see, I saw that whole yeah. press conference. He was quite uh, forward with the president during right. that time. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right. So yeah, yeah. What,
0: what it looks like, if you if you selectively just cut the follow-up to the follow-up question and Trump's response, it looks like that Peter Alexander just asked that question and Trump just immediately jumped down his throat. And so Which that's a horrible, the horrible question. And it wasn't the case. And I think this is the problem that I have with the press is that, you are on the front lines of this battle you need to be honest there's a trump gives you enough ammunition to go after don't start fa- you know not fabricating but don't start manipulating this as a propaganda piece for yourself because then you undermine your own credibility so anyway let me go back to the to, to the wednesday one because that was what was most interesting so trump is up there and he's he's doing his song and dance uh, pence fauci and burks are standing behind him with the, with the usual um you know, hostage look on their faces, the, the press are asking their same typical questions and getting you know, the same pushback. Then 20, 20 or 5 minutes into it, Trump says, OK, I'm gone. And he walks out the door. And you see almost a, a, a change in, in the faces of Pence, uh, Burks, and Fauci. And you also see a change in the, in the pointedness of the reporters asking the questions. And there's a change in the way that even Pence starts answering the questions. If you, if you wa- follow these press conferences where Pence is talking with the president standing next to him, it's always, the president has done this, the president has done that. Sure. What a great job by the president. In fact, I, I wanted somebody to do a content analysis of all these briefings to see how many times the word president came up versus briefings that we got about Ebola or SARS or even 9-11 recovery. Um, because there I haven't seen Anything like this, where no, because, everybody else has to stand the, up and acknowledge the pre- how what a great when, job he the president's says,
1: doing. When someone says the president, if you if you can look carefully at the president's face, there's a moment of relief that crosses his eyes. It's very subtle, but it's there. Someone says, "Well, the president has put forth this 15-day plan," and this little sense of ah, oh, you know, it's the old uh, Pat Riley, who's a former basketball coach. He used to say, "There's two ways of living. There's uh." Winning and misery, right? And that when you are not the champion, your whole life is misery, except for the that moment where you win, and then you can be relieved of your misery, right? Well, for Trump, it's he has such a poor sense of himself, deep, deep down, underneath all of the, the, the. Uh, you know, if I was playing Trump as a character that would be a a very key thing that I would see, right? Is that here's a guy who is is like starving or or dying of thirst and every compliment is is water. And that he just need that's what he lives for. He lives for the moments where someone says, thank you. It's like, again, going back to this idea of an alcoholic parent who you just can't trust and you don't know where they're going to be from one moment to the next. And you want to appease them. And that's what I, I look at Mike Pence as you were talking. I was thinking Mike Pence is like the alcoholic husband father's wife right? Who has to be there to, you know, he's good. He's very, you know, he's very pleasant. And, and it's, and, and, and Fauci and, and they're the kids who are just sort of standing there going, Oh, dad, stop. And, and the, and the press is, it it's, it's, uh, it's tough. It's, it's awful. It's awful. It's not to be understated. You know, we were talking about what we're going to say about all this. And it's like, let's talk about the fact that we have a man in in the spot of the presidency in this most dangerous time who's the worst possible person for the job there's no one you can think of who would be worse who would be less empathetic less caring so it's 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 amazing. It's almost like we're living in a simulation where someone goes, all right, let's get the least empathetic human being in the world and then put him into the most power and then set up the system so that it needs someone with great empathy and that it's not there. I think that's a huge reason why people have so much anxiety right now.
0: Yep. Yes. Uh, So it was the second part of that press conference that everybody should watch and you you would feel more assured. Is there something to be assured by though? Well, look, we're in a stressful and fearful time, so everybody needs to acknowledge their fears and stresses. Uh, there's there's no question about it. But there was a sense when you saw Pence and Fauci and Burks alone on that stage answering questions that you felt that somebody was in charge and that there was a re- there there was a real uh, a real effort behind it. Now, now I think Pence. You know, danced around some of the questions and and obfuscated in some places, typical of a politician. But you didn't get that sense that there was this capriciousness, this arbitrariness that could happen at any moment uh, with with the strategy
1: that was coming out of the
0: administration. So that was something. I'm going to try to combine two
1: of the things that I really love, right? Uh, I, I really love politics, and I'm lucky to talk to you about it. I also really love baseball, and I love fantasy baseball. And I'm going to try to explain this in a, in a concise way. Uh, there's a, a style of baseball, fantasy baseball, called dynasty baseball, where you end up playing for like 10 to 20 years, right? And when you're doing that game, there's a certain point where you have to make a decision about whether you're going to play for now or you're going to play for the future, there are some really bad dynasty league owners who say, all right, I'm going to play for the future. But then they get like two months into the season and they're like, this stinks, man. I I, I don't get to, my team is terrible. I'm not going to be any good till 2023. Forget it. I'm just going to trade all these kids. I'm going to change course completely. I, I just want to get as good as I can right now. And then they go and they buy all these old players and they give up all of the, all of the things that they've been working for all this time. And then their team still stinks. And they're going to just have to start it all over again the following year and go through the same process. That's what April 12th is all about. You've already done all of this work to try to get people to contain this virus. And now you're considering opening it back up on April 12th when you may where where the numbers are finally starting to go down a little bit where Governor Cuomo is saying that instead of it, you know, the the numbers aren't doubling in exactly the same way it's happening. It takes 4 days to double instead of 2 days to double, which is a great asset. Well, all of a sudden you put people in churches, this thing is going to spread like wildfire. And so it's like a, a really, he's president Trump. And I I don't believe he even believes it. I think he's just trying to say to the markets, Hey, we're going to be open for business in three weeks Buy stock. Let's get those numbers back up. But it's very dangerous and very challenging. I
0: I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've said early on, and I'm sure I've said this on this podcast, there's a difference between a liar and a bullshitter. And Trump, mm. is, Trump is in the latter category, where he's not, say, he's not thinking specifically, okay, what I'm about to say is a lie, and I know it's a lie, and I know that there's, there are people out there who understand the truth, and I, I just have to convince them at least to go along with the lie. A bullshitter is like, in this moment, what I'm saying is accurate. You can take it to the bank, because I'm saying at this moment, that means it's true. And that's, that's a, there's, there's a subtle distinction there. And I think that's Trump. And I think that's what you just described with what he did. It's like he's just uh, uh, bebopping when, he, when he gets up there. And, and it's because to him, it's true at that moment. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, what's
1: fascinating to do is to go back and watch uh, interviews of Donald Trump from the 90s on like the David Letterman show or the Tonight Show. Every once in a while, it shows up on YouTube. And I'm like, huh, I want to see this. Same guy. Same guy doing the same stuff, hasn't learned, hasn't grown, aged. He's aged quite a bit. Uh, but this is what has, quote, worked for him along the way. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like a, a like a casino gambler where you just keep playing. You keep doubling. My dad told me this story once with blackjack. He said it's very dangerous. But one way you can always survive in blackjack if you have enough money is if, let's say, you put down $10 and you lose. Just double your bet. Make it 20 then double your bet, make it 40. You've lost again, double your bet, make it 80. Double your bet, 160. And just keep doubling your bet until you win. And you can always get back to to whole. And I said, yeah, but what happens if it gets to like 2 million? And he goes, yeah, that's where you get in trouble. (laughs) And that's the problem with Trump. He's just doubling the bet. He doubles, that's how he lives his life. And that's how things go bankrupt. And that's why I say, sell your stock, yo. (laughs) Get out of the market now when it's at 22 because he's gonna just keep doubling his bet, and eventually it's gonna go crash.
0: Unfortunately, that's what I foresee for our country. All right. Uh, before we move on to polling, um, let's talk a little bit about the the stimulus package. I mean, I'm yeah. not I'm not a, I'm not an expert. Certainly, haven't read it, so I don't know the tr- two dollars. 833 pages, Patrick. <laughs> yes. Um, but one of the I thought one of the things that was really interesting is that you know they were cramming all these things into it, and. Um, you know, Donald Trump was saying that there were windmills in the House package and there never were windmills there. But there were things that got called out by the right-wing media, such as $25 million for the Kennedy Center for the Arts yeah. in Washington, D.C. And the right-wing media was all against this until the press conference on Wednesday night when Donald Trump said, yeah, the, the Kennedy Center is a great place. I wish I were there tonight. Uh, they really need this help. And it was like you could you could hear on a dime— 90% of Republicans going from thinking that the Kennedy Center appropriation in this bill was the worst thing in the world to thinking it was the most wonderful appropriation that ever existed, uh, simply because the president said that. But do you have any thoughts about uh, how this process uh, rolled out? I, I mean, look,
1: they, the Congress certainly needed to
0: do something. What
1: I found notable uh, was Ben Sass.
0: Oh your buddy Ben Sass. Yes. Ben Sass. Yeah, Ben Sass who um
1: silence for year for for a year. N- didn't step in front of a microphone. I had forgotten how droopy his eyes were actually. It had been so long. Or maybe over the course of this last year his eyes have drooped further. Ben Sass, my old silent, buddy. Yeah,
0: silent during uh, the silent impeachment. Sass. <laughs> silent Sass. I during, never yeah. say that one yeah, time. One time, that one time did I think of Silent Sass. Yeah, so God. during the impeachment, he was silent, but uh, he certainly had something to he say came about out,
1: this. He came out and um, he was really clear. He was the leader of this. He was yeah, the, he, he was the one, speaker.
0: He, he, sp- he sponsored
1: the amendment. With Scott and Scott and Graham. Um. Lindsey Graham's such an interesting fellow, yeah. isn't he? He's just interesting. Yeah. But yes, an, an
0: anthropological case study. Yes, Lindsey yeah. Graham. Yeah, it's just interesting
1: yeah. how he'll, what but, he decides to get behind and what he decides, like when he decides to be good for the nation and when he decides to be good for, for good old boy Lindsey Graham. But Ben Sass came out and really objected to, thought it was a misdraft of the bill, which I thought was clever on his part, um, but then said, yeah, no, people are going to quit their jobs for the next four months because they can make more um, unemployment and with the $600 a week that we're providing than they would make in their jobs. And that's not fair because instead of making $19 an hour as a nurse, they're going to be making $24 an hour. And we don't want to do that because then people are going to try to be on the dole and they don't want to work and blah, blah, blah. Um, So that can be argued left or right and right or center or whatever but but let's just talk about just the fact that ben sass decided to get up and speak that's what i wanted to note that sass decided that he this was this was what this was what, this was what needed to be spoken out against
0: yeah yeah that is fa- that, that everything that's happened over the past six months the worst thing you, that's yeah. happened is that there might be some people who ask their bosses to fire them so they can make more money for a few weeks and then hopefully get their jobs back at the end of this crisis.
1: Right. That that I need to go to the microphone and stop that atrocity. I find it um horrible. Yeah, well that's that's Ben Sass for you. Right? That is Ben Sass for you. <laughs> hey man, you know what? Actually I should I don't find it horrible. It's it's actually just typical. That, that that's so good. Can that be the title this week? Well, that's Ben Sass for you. Yes. it's just, that's Ben Sass for you. That okay. sums it up. You got it. What All a right. punk. What All a right. punk. Ben Sass, I wish I could run. I wish I lived in Nebraska. I would run for Senate against you. And you may win, but I would get out there speaking against you. I they are, nah, I may just have to help whoever's in Nebraska. Everyone help. We got to figure out who's running. All right. <laughs>
0: Okay. All right, so let's move on. Let's move on to uh, the polling segment.
1: Yeah, you had a big week on the polling side. Right, yes, right, you had right. a really big week, and right. you know I, it always is exciting for me when everyone's quoting the Monmouth poll because I'm like, yeah, that's Patrick. I hope for our listeners they they go, oh look, that's Patrick. Because so, so tell us what you learned this week.
0: So it's uh, we're starting our our COVID tracking. You know what what how is this impact being felt across the country? So we were looking in two ways. One is the impact itself. Uh, you know, we got a third of the people who are out of work. Uh, that's a big number uh, uh, that or, or they've lost income or their business has lost income. Uh, we have 20 uh, percent are working from home for the first time ever. You know, so that's a big change for them. Uh, you know, two thirds are reporting that they don't don't go out to stores as much as usual. So we're going to track that to see how much that changes and, and particularly the economic impact as, as we were just talking about the unemployment claims are, are through the roof right now. But the other part that we're also tracking is, well, how are the how's the political world handling this? How are the leaders handling this? And so one thing that a lot of people have um, hooked on to is uh, Donald Trump's job approval rating has actually ticked up during this crisis. As much as you and I are criticizing him, overall, his job approval rating has gone up to 46 percent and his disapproval rating is 48 percent. So still in negative territory in our poll. But uh, certainly the highest, that 46% is the highest that he's been since he's taken office in our poll. And other polls are showing similar trends. Now, his handling of this uh, COVID uh, pandemic specifically, we find 50% say he's done a good job. 45% say he's done a bad job. Some other polls have his good job number or approval number on COVID specifically, a slightly higher than 50%. -hmm. So people are looking at it saying, well, people think he's doing a good job with this. And one thing that I point out to them is that you have to put this in context. Yes, it's his best numbers ever on anything, but let's look at other crises in the past. What happened after 9-11? George W. Bush went from a 53% approval rating to an 80% approval rating, and he was able to hold that there because people felt some sense of confidence. Uh, even uh, President Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Remember, that's another time when the country was under siege. He already had a high approval rating in the low 60s, but it went up 10 points during the Cuban Missile Crisis and stayed there for a while because people felt confident in his leadership. So I'm saying the fact that 50% approve of the job he's doing COVID and his, number, his overall job approval rating has gone up about a couple points to 46%, isn't all that good in context because I, I believe that these numbers have gone up simply because people want a president that they can rally around, not because they have a president they can rally around. And so you got a few people who move from somewhat disapproved to somewhat approve because they want to be there. They want to have faith in him to do that. Yeah. Um, And there's not evidence that we're putting out here that says that he's going to be able to hold on to this.
1: And also let me, let me dive in here for a second. The, real ugly stuff is still yet to come with this disease, with this virus. If what Cuomo is saying is true, if what all the scientists are saying is true, we're going to have video of people dying alone in hospitals in New York City, in in, in waiting rooms. And once that start, stuff starts going, that'll be like what happened with Katrina and Bush. We haven't seen that side of it yet. We have the promise of it. Maybe it won't. Look, if if this uh, there's some talk today that this mix of uh, the two drugs is actually working, if that works, Trump's going to trumpet it <laughs> and say, look, I was right, and everyone's totally healthy, and let's get back to life. If that happens, his numbers will go up, and they th- maybe they should at that point. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the way things are going. And the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City was up for a little while, but then went bankrupt. So it's early yet. It's early, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, I, I think I think it's very early, and we'll have to see. I and mean, we're not near the top of the curve yet. And we're already hearing reports out of uh, New York that the hospitals' uh, ICUs are, are already at capacity. And yes, we're, not, we're and, not there yet. Yeah, yeah. But, want, so
1: want, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going.
0: Well, I was just going to talk about some other things, get your reaction to. okay. so Donald Trump, uh, 50% say he's done a good job on COVID. But 65% say federal health agencies have done a good job. 72% say the governors in their states have done a good job. Mm -hmm. So there, again, put this in context. I mean, the governors are really the ones who are providing this leadership here. And we'll talk more about governors in a second. But let's talk about the ones that aren't doing as well. Congress, 42% good job. Uh, the media, forty-five percent good job versus forty-three percent bad job. But I was talking about this mix in the media, and I think we've got we're seeing that with the public. But here's a number I want you to react to, which is we also asked, "What kind of job do you think the American public is doing on this?" Thirty-eight percent said the American public is doing a good job handling this pandemic, versus forty-five percent who said the public is doing a bad job. So the American public gives themselves a fairly bad grade on this. Yeah.
1: I I don't know. I I think that's unfair. I think that, uh, I think the American public's actually doing a pretty good job considering.
0: Yeah. um, I I think part of it is because you and I are in New York. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: I mean, here in New York, people are doing a good job. Nobody's out on the streets. People are listening to what the governor is saying to do. Um, It's... What, what right. And, then, and and what I, I should says? say, you know,
0: governors overall get a good rating, but, you know, it's different by state. So we have Rob DeSantis, the governor of Florida. That's what I was who, curious about.
1: He can't <laughs> be that high.
0: Right. Who's blaming, who's blaming New York for all the problems. Well, New York wasn't the one who left his beaches open for spring break.
1: Yeah. New York wasn't the one
0: inviting people to come to, hey, come yeah. to here. Look, there are going to be New Yorkers who go down to Florida because they were allowed to by Florida. Uh, they are in the minority of... People who are trying to do the right thing to protect not just themselves, but to protect everybody else from family members to friends to healthcare workers to strangers out there who you could easily pass this on to in one or th- two or three iterations. Uh, but it's the governors who are and in fact. That's what we saw is that the states where we're at the time that we were doing the poll last week, the states that did not have high, those high numbers yet. Those were the states that hadn't implemented any of these measures because they thought, I guess the governors there think that they're, you know, they were free of them. And those were the ones that were actually getting a lower approval rating because the majority of the residents knew, hey, this is coming to us soon. Why aren't we locking down like those other states are doing in order to prevent it from being as bad here as it is in the New York metropolitan area? But this
1: all goes back to mid-January. This goes back to when the first cases were happening in China in late December. The president knew about all this stuff. He should have... There's a podcast, Fresh Air, that Max Brooks, the son of uh, Mel Brooks, and uh, his wife, Ann Bancroft, he did a podcast uh, that my mom pointed out to me on uh, Fresh Air, uh, basically talking about he's a... uh, Infectious disease expert. He has written books about this. He's written novels. He wrote uh, World War Z, which became a movie about zombies. And I know that sounds kind of strange. But this is what he studied for a long time. And he said that the nation was set up to handle this problem, but it did not step up to handle the problem. And until because they did not step up. That's why we're dealing with all of these issues that we're having now. And here's another example, going back to the challenges to the Republic, where President Trump does not have the relationships with the other leaders around the world to help in the way that Barack Obama did have those relationships. So that when Ebola or or N1H1 came up, Obama was the centerpiece of the fulcrum, working together as a species to handle these, these issues and these problems, which what I'm saying is that the governor's and all of these, the Congress and everyone else, it all goes back to this original sin. We wouldn't be dealing with this on the same level if the president had done his job yeah. and had not, not he refused to take the call from Azar for a week. Azar was like, I really need to talk to you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, can we talk about vaping? Like, I don't want to talk about that. That's no fun. <laughs> That's no fun. That makes me feel bad. That gets me scared. Let's not discuss that. That's not what the president's supposed to do. That's why these numbers are bad yep. and why your federal numbers, you have numbers here on federal.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things that, that I thought was interesting, Donald Trump tweeted uh, on Wednesday that real people want to get back to work. This was his justification for his Easter date. Real people want to get back to work. And our polling suggests, no, real people want to live and have their families and friends <laughs> live. And so we asked a question specifically about the measures that are being taken, both at the federal level and the state level. So the states are where the lockdown's happening, right? Yeah. 62% of the American public say the state measures are appropriate. 25% in fact say they don't go far enough and they should go farther. Wow. Only 9%, 9%, less than one in 10, say that they're going too far, that are in Trump's camp, that say, hey, let's let's get back to normal. Very few people. And if we look at the federal numbers, uh, only 6% say they're going too far, but more importantly, 47% say they're appropriate. 45%, nearly half, say that the federal government is not going far enough. So the state governments are getting approval for the lockdown. And they're looking at the federal government saying, why aren't you doing the same thing? Very few people are in Trump's camp and saying, hey, we need to get back to work right now. No, they- Six they, the percent. Pub- the public understand, yes. The public understand that, no, we need to make sure that we, we're we all alive in a, in a month or two. Wow. So what is he talking about?
1: He's just talking about what's going on. It's like happy talk in his head. What's that song? Happy talk. Yeah, from from... South Pacific. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. He's just having happy talk in his head. But who believes it? If everyone is saying it's too, if everyone's saying it's either appropriate or not far enough, who's his base? Yeah, who who is he? Who is he selling to? Someone called him a carnival barker. I think it was Max. It was Max Brooks. That's what he is. He's a carnival. Step right up this way on April 12th. All the churches will be filled and everyone's going to be great, folks.
0: No, it's not. Yeah. So that's I, the polling. The polling says that the public is fully behind the lockdown measures good. that are happening right now. And they they seem to appreciate the extent of this, despite the mixed messages that they're getting for President Trump. So we're going to keep tracking that in our polling. We're going to do a fairly frequent national polling at least every two weeks uh, right now while this crisis is going on to keep track And there'll be of more people politics. at home to answer the phone, right? Well, that's what, in- <laughs> that was one of the side effects that we found is that we actually, our response rates went up because uh, even when we're calling cell phones, where we can get people wherever they are, is that you're not doing anything. Pick up the phone and talk to whoever dials on the other end, see if it's, it's something interesting. It's interesting time. And
1: I'll get to that in the final thought. All right. Now let's move on to what is typically our hot take segment, but because of what's going on in the country, the drum just feels a little inappropriate. Um, Something we, I think we both agree on. Yes. Patrick. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. We
0: just thought it's not time to just do hot takes on things that are disperious pieces of information in the news. Right. So we're going to have a, just a a, a quick conversation about where
1: things are in the democratic uh, primary, which is still ongoing. Um, and Bernie Sanders, it seems, is talking about doing the next debate in April, uh, if there is one. So, Patrick, what do you think he's hoping to accomplish?
0: Yeah, and Joe Biden is saying he doesn't want to debate in April. There's no need for debates. Uh, I was listening back to some of our past podcasts uh, this year as this uh, primary was rolling out. Uh, We had actually had a discussion when Bernie was riding high about Mm -hmm. what— what are his motivations? What is he doing? And is he putting country first? And we were talking about, you know, the influence of Russia. And I think at the time news was coming out that the Russians were probably helping Sanders' campaign as well as Trump's campaign. Uh, and and you, you remarked that you don't think Sanders is under the, uh, under the thumb of, of some foreign dictator. And I, I, I agree with you with that. But the, the question, and I subsequently kept coming back to this in our podcast, was, is, is Bernie Sanders going to do the right thing? Uh, and I think from his perspective, the reason to stay in
1: uh, is I, I don't know that it's wise for the Democratic Party, but it, it keeps him in second position. Let's say, God forbid, something happens to Joe Biden and he gets very sick and ill. Well, Biden biden has to drop out because he's not well. Well, Sanders is still in the race and doesn't reopen everything for everyone else to jump, jump back in. Yeah, but you
0: can, sus- you can suspend your campaign and still be that. And What I'm saying is... Look, at this point, if we get back to actually holding primaries, Joe Biden is going to run the table on these because Democratic voters have spoken is that they want somebody who can take on Donald Trump. And right now they believe it is Joe Biden. If you suspend your campaign, if you're Bernie Sanders and endorse Biden, you're still on the ballot in those states. You, You don't have to necessarily take your name off the ballot. And if... Joe Biden even starts racking up all these delegates. And then something happens between now and July, the convention that undermines Joe Biden's uh, viability. You can throw your name back at hat in the ring, as can everybody else who only suspended their campaigns. Mm-hmm. I get it. So I think, you know, if you were looking at this more from even from a strategic point of view, strategically look like the good soldier, because if because you're not going to win at this point. And then if something does happen, if, you know, if, if those low odds, that low odd event happens, then you are somebody who you can be considered in the mix. If you're somebody who keeps pushing Biden all along and then something happens to Biden, just since you racked up a number of delegates, the second most delegates, you're going to have an open convention. And I, I think very much so that the, the we're going to see... We would see in that that case the the Democratic establishment coming together around somebody else and not Bernie Sanders. Andrew Cuomo. Right. Yeah, well, exactly.
1: And there are moments in this past week where I just thought, man, put Cuomo up on that stage against Trump. Cuomo would kick his butt. Now, I I have personal experience with Andrew Cuomo. I met him once at the state state dinner. This is a a funny story. I hadn't even thought about it um, until the other night I was watching uh, Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo. If you haven't caught the two of them on Chris Cuomo's show, I highly recommend it. They love each other so much, and they give each other such crap in a way that only brothers can do. Because I have two brothers, an older brother, younger brother, and this is what brothers are like. And these two are just ripping each other while they're telling each other how much they love each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and and
0: which which one of them mom loves best?
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> call you. Call mom. Call mom. Like I did call mom. And the only reason one of the funniest bits was Andrew Cuomo. Uh, Chris Cuomo says thanks for doing the show. And Andrew said mom made me. And it was just like, oh, how great is this? And at one point, they're going back and forth, and he says, Christopher, and he calls him Christopher, and he puts himself very much in his place. Well, I happen to have met Andrew Cuomo. i met at uh, the state dinner, and he was asking the person I was with if she, that person would take over the New York state arts thing, right? She's a, she's kind of a big donor, and, and she was like, nah, I don't really want to do that. And I stepped forward. I was like, well, you know, I think you should consider doing it. And I said, hi, my name is Ian Khan, boom, boom, boom. And I was really standing face-to-face with him with, you know, I was trying to sort of say, hey, you're a big guy, I'm a big guy, and let's have a conversation. And he's like, nice to meet you. And he takes his hand and he punches me in the chest. I mean, and hard. Like, that punch, but like slaps me in the chest. And he's like, good to meet you. And he was sort of looking at me like, I'm the governor. Who the hell do you think you are talking to me like this? (laughs) And I, I said this to Nicole. Nicole said, why didn't you ever tell me about it? I was like, I actually, I hadn't even thought about it until I was watching him play alpha male with his younger brother. And it reminded me of that moment that I had with him where he played alpha male with me. And I sort of had to back down a little bit. Like, okay, you got it, governor. Well, it's a real pleasure to meet you. Thanks for punching me in the chest. Um, but that being said, he's a tough guy. I like him. I like him a lot. I, I respect what he's doing. You had said something about him not not being a huge fan of him before this. Yeah.
0: But well, actually, yeah. I, let's let's actually. This is a great segue into our final uh, block okay. here, which is our Guardian of the Week, right? Because this, we try to find people who are doing the right thing, and I, I, we decided that our Guardian of the Week this week are. The governors, the governors who are doing the right thing. We're we're talking about the governors in general in those states that have tried to take charge. But what we're seeing, and again, the polling, is that that is what people are looking towards. This is why we haven't devolved into chaos because of the mixed messages coming from the White House. The governors have stepped up and filled that void for people. Beautifully. And there, there are a couple of governors, Newsom on the West Coast, and then we have Cuomo in the state that's been hit hardest who have really stepped up and raised their profile. Uh, and and this is, I think Cuomo is a great case of a consummate, uh, you know, eat-em-up politician who, when a crisis strikes, can step back and put their state first. Uh, I've had experience with this personally, too, uh, in New Jersey with back in 2012 with Superstorm Sandy when that hit, and, and our governor, Chris Christie, at the time. Now, Chris Christie was was an I was a political animal who would just, you know, eat up his enemies. But when that storm hit, he was out there, you know, greeting President Obama, asking for President Obama's help, working with with the president across the aisle. And he got a lot of flack from the right wing. But he was doing in that time. He was doing the right thing for his state now. After the crisis passed, and I expect the same thing with Cuomo. After the crisis passed, they go back to their usual, you know, stabbing their enemies in the back kind of thing. And that's 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 Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That, that's who Andrew Cuomo is. But in this time, you watch those Cuomo press briefings, and you feel like somebody's in charge. Somebody's got this. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to be great. It's going It's it, It's going to be a very horrible situation for many. But at least somebody is working to try to keep this as a lid on this as much as possible. So Andrew Cuomo, many of the other governors. So you have Newsom in California. You've got uh, Murphy in, uh, in New Jersey, Lamont, in well. Connecticut. Murphy's doing okay. Yeah. And, and doing Phil okay. Murphy, another one you want to call out, uh, because uh, just before this hit, he was in the hospital. He had a, he had a, a part of a, his kidney removed, cancerous. He just had cancer surgery. Uh, and he was back in the saddle. And uh, he's been there every day. Um, so there have been some. Do you horror, ever wonder, do you ever
1: wonder if, if these leaders have moments? I, I imagine with the president that he has these moments quite often where he says, why did I do this? This is really hard. You know, where the governors, where Phil Murphy is like, gosh, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be like, or, or Cuomo or, you know, Gavin Newsom's like, but, but this is what you signed up for. Like, this is actually, and, and you know, all these years we've had of doctors making all this money. Right, and they, they always make more money than everybody else. Blah blah blah. Well, now there there are soldiers on the front line, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's sort of it's sort of interesting this way. It's like who are the people that we're really counting on the most? Right.
0: Well, the ones who are the soldiers on the front line are those ICU nurses who know how to use the ventilators, and they're not making enough money. Uh, God, no. yeah, I mean, nurses these are, are the, awesome.
1: Yeah. Nurses
0: are awesome. My
1: experience of nurses overall are they they're just they're angels, really. Uh, when my son was in the hospital a couple of years ago, um, twice, he got, he was once with a, it was like a, a foot, his foot was swollen beyond belief. And then once he got into it, he, he had to stay overnight in the hospital for a few days. And I'm, I stayed in the hospital with him cause our younger son had just been born. And, um, and those nurses were just Fantastic. They were just so loving and wonderful and amazing. And here they are doing it again and, and stepping up wearing garbage bags yes. uh, to protect themselves. So they, they the governors, for sure. But let's also add in all the I think care
0: workers. I think we're going to be talking more about the health care workers in this segment as this thing hits its yeah. apex. Um, yeah. There's and, no and question the about people,
1: it. And also the people, the grocery store people who are getting sick, but they're filling those, you know, there's a lot of you know the the mr rogers thing when a, when a tragedy strikes look for the helpers like there's a lot of helpers going on right now yep which leads me now to my final thought um of the week which is just a acknowledgement of the of where we've been just in this past week i spoke at the end of last week about the level of consciousness growing and that there's the possibility that This is not just happening to us, but in a way it might be happening for us. And I know from my perspective, every morning when I wake up, I have to be very conscious about where my brain goes because it's so easy to go to fear constantly because there's so much to be afraid of. There's a lot, there's a lot around us, but it's learning to manage these, these fears and to be conscious and to remember that we're spirits inside of these bodies and try to live from, from that path. We're going to be tested over the course of these next many months. And how we respond to it will help set the course for the next quarter century, for the next, I'm sorry, quarter millennium of this country. Because we're coming to the 250th anniversary in 2026, which is how you and I met. Mm -hmm. Um, is because of of the 250th anniversary when talking about doing something in in new jersey to celebrate that well here we are now and as a nation as a world as a species we're being tested and how we respond to it will set the tone for our future (laughs) and i know that even in just this last week there has been some changes if you get food, like how, how you open the bag, con- being conscious of washing our hands in, on, a, on a constant and regular basis, while still understanding there are people out there who are suffering beyond measure, who, don't, who are living paycheck to paycheck and don't know how they're going to feed their families or pay their rent. So it's a, it's a unique time that is challenging and scary but also has the ability, like we said, with Mr. Rogers, finding the helpers to people for them to become their best. So that's the hope and uh, the prayer for this week.
0: Well, thanks for that final thought. All right. Well, we're going to continue to soldier on here. Um, That's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. I want to apologize. I think we had a little bit more uh, technical uh, glitches this time. Uh, So I hope you bear with us uh, with that. Uh, Ian and I are not in the same room. We're not even in the same state right now. So uh, we're relying on the internet while everybody's watching videos and in gaming uh, to get this done. But if you have any comments or thoughts for the show or anything that you'd like us to talk about, please reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. And please
1: uh, remember to subscribe. And because everyone's at home right now, if you want to tell friends or family about the show, if you enjoy it, if you think that we're bringing something to your life, it would be great to get more people listening. Um, so please give us a rating and tell your friends and family so others can find us. And check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us, and we will be
0: back with a new episode next week. See you then.